Every Saturday is Catterday on Echoplex Media, and not only are we posting fucking cats, we invite all content creators to join our open panel. Visit echoplexmedia.com slash panel to learn how to join. Every third Saturday is Operation Catterday, where we cover this week and last year and play the best clips from the cast of conspiracy characters that now space has learned to loathe. The show starts at 8 p.m. Pacific at twitch.tv slash echoplexmedia. Find our full schedule at echoplexmedia.com. Don't forget to follow us on social media for beautiful food and inspiration. Came around. 
everybody. Welcome to Down Ballot. We do this show live every Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. Pacific right here on Twitch. That's twitch.tv slash echoplexmedia. You can support this project in a variety of ways. Just go to echoplexmedia.com slash support and uh, click one of the things and give us give us the monies. Or, I don't know, share the show with your friend, text the podcast to your friend, tell your mom about it, whatever, whatever. Uh, I'm Producer Dave. You can find me on Grinder. And this is The Councilman. You can find me on Twitter at T-H-E underscore Councilman, as long as Twitter is still there. And if you're in the Facebook space, the meta space, you can find me as Hansel Mann. So if you see some random dude with blonde hair and a fishbowl in his profile picture, that's me. So get ready. I'm coming for you. Very nice. <clears throat> Very nice. Well, I tried to find stuff that wasn't about the storm the storms this week that it, it like flooded the if the, the 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 rain flooded the channel so to speak correct yeah the local derp was a mass uh, just a wash with rain stories and uh sinkholes and potholes um and really now our show is deluge. a wash now our show is a wash with bad water puns exactly oh it was horrible watching the local news this week it was just one bad water pun after another right <laughs> um so uh and in the first story, you found is just glorious uh, to lead off this. The you know what's really glorious tonight. is the is the still that they chose. Check this out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't tell if like the guy's wearing a like a hood or a shawl or like what, why is his face kind of like obscured? It, it just looks really shady. Is the truck um, chasing him? Like I just don't know. Right, I just don't know. Anyway, this is actually kind is of a MacGyver? cool story. The first story we have for leading off here. Um, it is. Uh, people were getting supplies in the Santa Cruz mountains via zip line. So let's, uh, let's check out what NBC Bay area has to say about that. Okay. Imagine being cut off from leaving your home for more than a week. That's exactly what happened to a small community of Coralitos in the Santa Cruz mountains. Last weekend, the bridge connecting part of the neighborhood to the main road washed out. But luckily one man who lives there thought ahead, Daryl Hardy set up a zip line New Year's weekend when he suspected the bridge might go out. He says seven households would have been completely stranded if it not for the zip line. So for weeks now, Hardy has been ferrying supplies and get this, people back and forth. Earlier, we spoke to Daryl about how he got the idea. I have to tell you, you're kind of blowing my mind here because you're telling me that people are using the zip line to leave the community to go out into the world to do whatever they have to do. And then they're zip lining back in. Is there, uh, I mean, are you worried about safety? Is anybody worried about that? Is, is it, can anyone just put up a zip line and that's okay? Uh, has it zip lining without a license? <laughs> I'll tell you, I need a permit for that. The kit I bought is actually designed for this use, not necessarily for what we're using, this? For, but for people. It's designed to, you know, for people to zip, right? So mm -hmm. uh, the safety is always a concern, of course, especially when the water's really high. Uh, uh, right. And the height of the zip line itself, yeah, if, if you happen to fall off the thing, it's uh, it definitely could cause some pretty good injuries or serious injuries, given all the rocks and debris below. Uh, but uh, everybody that's uh, been using it is very, you know, pretty comfortable with it. And uh, those who don't, we uh, we just shuttle the supplies in and out for them. Has anything like this ever happened to you before where you've been in this situation so isolated? or And was there even a concern as the rain started that you thought this bridge might be at risk of going? Well, the, uh, as far as being isolated before, I'd say the closest thing is some of the wildfires we've had in the past. Mm -hmm. uh, the, we had the summit fire was fairly close by and actually burned through our property. Uh, fortunately, it didn't really take out any of the homes. And uh, thanks to CDF, I will say. And uh, as far as, 
you know, when Bridge of Self goes, I, I came in uh, New Year's Eve and uh, the road was impassable because there was a bunch of debris on it and the water's flowing over the top and I could see the retaining wall on the outlet side uh, actually starting to give away already. So when I came back the next morning, uh, it was in a lot worse shape. So it was pretty, pretty obvious as to what was going to happen, especially with the forecast of more rain. That's pretty cool. I love how, yeah, I, I love though how she asks, uh, you know, has this ever happened to you before? Or is this ever something you expected? I mean, duh, like you choose to live in, you know, far-flung places and, and remote places and you're going to end up eventually stranded for one reason or another, right? Like that's sort of what you sign on for. It's part of the date part of the, the risk um, and reward of living out in the woods, right? Um, so, you know, I don't feel necessarily bad for anyone who's stranded uh, because they decided to live away from civilization, provided they want civilized things, right? If they don't give a shit and they just want to be off the grid, then great. They probably love in life, right? Um, but if they like want, you know, fresh milk and shit from the store <laughs> with the, two, the fresh 2% milk, you know, I don't really have a lot of sympathy for them. Um, but yeah, I, I do that. <laughs> you gotta love his, aren't you worried about safety? Well, yeah, you know, we're being real safe. <laughs> <laughs> there's rocks and shit um like i don't you're right i don't know that there's a conditional use permit uh to you know use a zip line over a down bridge i'm guessing you're kind of doing that at your own risk you know and the, the city's not you know the county or whoever it is isn't liable um if you do hurt your ass um but you know they're, they're all adults it seems like they can decide if they want to take a zip line over a zip fun as it as it said over the the downed bridge what I did notice about that is his connection, considering how far out he was, seemed pretty good to the local news thing. I wonder what kind of internet they got up there because he was a lot of times. Well, they'll be like, you know, ringing in from Oakland, and then it's like a slideshow of the person, and it's like, what's going on? You have fiber probably in Oakland, and this guy out in the middle of nowhere, where not for nothing, the infrastructure is also like being taxed pretty heavily by the storm, and he, his call went off without a hitch. Yeah, he's he's probably paying uh, for for really good you know a really good setup, and he's he's set up for success there. I mean, like he looked like he had a lot of storage in that that uh you know garage behind him, like a lot of overstock, and like he's prepared for uh for whatever. And look, and uh, judging by his shirt, he runs like an air conditioning or a heating company of some sort. Um, so he's he's definitely knowledgeable about these types of things. So I, I I trust that Mr. Hardy's gonna he's gonna be in good shape. Um, but yeah, anyone else up there, you know, if if you're counting on connections to civilization again just a friendly reminder you know don't move away from civilization absolutely absolutely so we're going to move on to winners and losers where uh there's usually yes. no winners unless there's somebody you're not rooting yeah. for and then they're almost guaranteed to win our first Correct. story is about the ace train that's the altamont commuter express it is primarily connects the bay area to sacramento um that is the that is its primary purpose and over in sonol california which is a, a place i used to drive my cars too quickly because the roads are very unpopulated and sometimes windy. Um, mm -hmm. Well, the, the train got stuck or it, the, the, tr the tracks became impassable. We got two stories about them. One's like a quicker news hit and the other one is like an on location hit. That's a little bit longer. Let's check out the first one. Nice. Welcome back. We're following that mudslide that trapped an ACE train traveling through Niles Canyon in Alameda County. Look at this video right here. 
No one was hurt, but county fire officials say 226 people are being rescued by a second train and being taken back to Pleasanton and the Pleasanton station. We just heard from a passenger that the rescue train is on the move right now. Joining us now, Division Chief Randall West from Alameda County Fire. And Chief West, thanks for taking the time to speak with us. So why don't you take us through what exactly happened here? Was that train on the move when that mudslide came down or did it run into the mudslide? Okay, so approximately about 8.45 a.m. this morning, the Alameda County Fire Department, Fremont Fire Department, and Cal Fire was dispatched to a train derailment. Upon arriving on scene, uh, crews discovered that this was actually not a train derailment, that the train had actually stopped due to a 100-foot mudslide. So the men and women of all agencies uh, mitigated the scene very quickly and in a safe manner. All 220 passengers uh, were non-injury, and so what happened after they mitigated the scene, the passengers was transferred over to a rescue train, which you, you all just uh, spoke of, that is actually going to the Pleasanton station as we speak right now. So the train, all the passengers have been transferred over to the rescue train and uh, en route to the Pleasanton station. So everyone did a very wonderful job mitigating this scene very quickly and safe. Yeah, luckily no one was hurt, Chief. Uh, what can you tell us about the status of getting that train off the tracks? What, are you in the process of doing that now? I can, I can imagine it's a delicate process. Uh, right now we have Pacific Union Railroad representative and a ACE representative who are on scene right now trying to mitigate the next steps of uh, getting the train off the tracks. And what is the concern for that mudslide? I know the, the, the ground is so saturated right now with all that rain we've had here. Is there any danger to the crews and workers out there that are trying to move that train and, and dig it out? Uh, so one of the dangers, and luckily, again, this could have turned out uh, bigger than what it was, mm -hmm. it is the weather that had over the last few weekends. So the crews uh, mm -hmm. have trained, uh, have done a lot of training for incidents like this, so luckily that this incident didn't turn into one bigger. So uh, this was, we were fortunate. I will say that we were fortunate. And Chief West, I'm just curious, when, when this whole thing occurred, was it something that happened relatively quickly or was this something that the ground started to give way and it was sort of a slow moving uh, disaster? What, what are people telling you? <laughs> uh, right now, uh, that is still an investigation, so more to follow to see exactly what happened. Were they going to interview the tree? And Chief, I guess the, the next question the is, how will this impact the evening commute and then tomorrow morning, how would it impact the morning commute? Uh, I wish I had a, a good answer for you, but I, what I do know is that the representatives from uh, ACE and Pacific Railroad are on scene and they're trying to uh, open up the railroad as quickly as possible. Yeah, I'm sure it's going to take a while to probably get the train clear mm -hmm. from those tracks and we can expect the impact to happen at least throughout the day. All right, uh, Chief Randall West, thank you so much for your time. So I don't know, have you ever taken that train up to Sacramento, Councilman? The ACE? I have not, actually, to be to be entirely honest. I've never worked on staff at the state level and never really had much need to go to Sacramento other than um, the occasional art exhibition or fish concert. Um, yeah, not, not really regular on the ACE. So I have, I have, and I'm actually kind of surprised they were able to like see that there was a mudslide and get the thing stopped because it's going at a mm -hmm. pretty good clip through there. I don't know if they slip, I mean, like any vehicle, maybe it slows down if there's like rain, like heavy rain, but then the rain would make the tracks wet. Right. And so 
it's yeah. harder to get the thing stopped. I'm actually pretty impressed that they got that 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 train stopped and uh, like nothing too terribly bad happened. Although yeah, it does look like you could, you, as you can see right here in the still for the next video, it looks like some of the trees are like right up against the windows on the train and stuff. Yeah, it looks like, it, like it's like they said, it didn't just impede their travel. Like it actually hit the train as it was coming through. Right, the the slide itself, just the timing. Um, so this is like debris and you know woodland debris that has come down with the slide more than likely and abutted up against the the train. Um, so that's pretty intense actually, and that's your that's right there. Your looks like your bike uh your bike car right. That'd be where you would be riding, I imagine, or at least you would have your your bike chilling, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, it depends. Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't think I took my bike last time I went to Sacramento, but right. Uh, who would want to anyway? They don't have bike lanes. Um, actually, they do. Uh, uh, it's so, pretty flat up there. It's a not, not a bad place to ride a bike around. It's very nice. Very. Oh, it's very bikeable. It's very bikeable. I was being very sarcastic. Um, so uh, yeah, this this looks a little dangerous though with the, all these branches coming at you. So that must have been pretty scary if it was like live, right, and in your face. Um, so let's see what happened here. On the so we have uh, we have our next clip of this. This is uh, on the scene. Uh, from this is from Fox 2 here. Let's see what nice. let's see what poor soul they sent to do this. Well, what we know so far is that they're trying Jesse to bring Gary. a second train to bring it in, couple it with the one that's stuck in the mud, and then offload passengers and then pull that those cars out. But before we get to the specifics of that, we're going to talk to uh, Division Chief Randall West of the Alameda County Fire Department. Oh, and cool. Here's Randall West live and in, in person. Okay, so around approximately 8.45 a.m. this morning, the Alameda County Fire Department, Fremont Fire Department, and Cal Fire Fire Department was dispatched to a train derailment. Upon arrival, crews discovered that this was actually not a train derailment, but the train was stopped by a 100-foot mudslide. It was approximately 220 passengers uninjured. Again, I will say 220 passengers that were uninjured. So the men and women of all agencies did a very wonderful job by mitigating the scene very safely and, and uh, quickly. The uh, train was stuck in the mud. I take it it came to like a hard stop or hard, any description on that? Uh, uh, from the knowledge that I... And, from it's, the, all, it's all right. It happens. From the knowledge that I know... That the train had already stopped, but that is uh, under investigation. We was called to the scene, and basically we mitigated the scene by uh, assisting those passengers off the original train to the uh, rescue train. So everyone did, a, again, a wonderful job by mitigating the scene safely and quickly. Okay, Division Chief uh, West, I appreciate it. All right, thank you. So this happened at 8.45 this morning. We have video from our photographer, Dave Serrano, who made it closer to the scene, and you can see that the train is, in fact, stuck in mud, as the Division Chief said, uh, a hundred foot mud uh, slide here in uh, Niles Canyon. <clears throat> I hear a train. Okay. Uh, come back live. I hear a train. So that's pretty much the same information as the last clip. And it seems like maybe these two clips happened at around the same time because they were given exactly the same information. They say a hundred foot mudslide. That's actually a very small mudslide. Mm hmm. I mean, width-wise, is that what they're talking about? Width, yeah, the width, 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 yeah. I think the width of it is was a hundred. Yeah, feet. relatively speaking, relatively speaking, the train's got to be much, much, much longer than that. Um, I did appreciate Chief West, like on his talking points. Like, God bless his soul. Uh, any public information officer would be super proud. He just he got a question. He went right to the talking points. Went right to the whole story. Gave ever gave all the facts. And both times, both both clips, by the way, had the exact same story. He stuck to it. Very, very well done, Chief West. Good for you. Um, I give you the the 
comms director round of applause. The councilman seal uh, of approval. The councilman seal of approval for that. So good job, sir. You should run for office. So our next story uh, comes out of uh, UC Berkeley, and I'm very, very nervous because I think they found the body that me and my boyfriend had buried while we were there. So let's no see what snap. let's see what happened here. If they mention my name or another person whose uh, initials are NC, then this will be our last broadcast. Dug An a hole. discovery on the UC Berkeley campus. Authorities today say they found human skeletal remains inside of an empty building on the Clark Kerr campus. KTV's Evan Sudofsky reports on the discovery and the attempts to identify those remains. We're here at the Clark Kerr campus of UC Berkeley, which is just southeast of the main that campus. That is an unfortunate mustache. 21 is where authorities found a human skeleton. Campus officials put out an alert to students on Friday saying they discovered the remains on Tuesday afternoon. They have not identified the remains or said whether it was a man or woman who was found. The coroner's office will perform an autopsy to determine the cause and manner of death. Officials mm -hmm. say it's unclear how long it had been since the person died, but they did say there's no outstanding cases of people missing from the campus community. We spoke to a man who was working in the area when the body was discovered. Here's what he had to say. We saw a lot of police activity. Um, there was con a construction site. They were like demoing everything out of this building and then all of a sudden just stopped. And the next day we like saw the coroner come and there was a lot of police activity. This doesn't surprise me that much. There's a lot of uh, homeless activity here. So it was an abandoned building figured. Sir, that was two students in the, in the 90s, sir. Back here in front of Building 21 at the Clark Kerr campus, authorities say it's been unoccupied for quite some time. We're still waiting for those autopsy results to answer some of those important questions about this case. Evan Cernofsky, KTVU, Fox 2 News. Um, all joking aside, that's gotta be like horrible. If you're like, just like a maintenance person for that building, or if you're just like your job is to enter the building or whatever, and then you find human remains, probably oh, quite unsettling. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, not at all the thing you want on your, your day-to-day -day job. Um, yeah, it just reminds me of the, uh, the place that they were renovating in Oakland, the athletic facility or whatever, whatever it was, the concert hall. And they found the remains in the wall. Remember that? We had that I do remember that story. A few months ago. Um, that was, so that like, wasn't us. No. No. Um, but some, yeah, people just got to do a better job of hiding their bodies, basically, is what I'm, what, what we're finding out here, unfortunately. Um, so they're the real losers. I, the guy immediately jumped to, oh, it was a homeless act, home, a lot of homeless activity around here. I hope he doesn't mean that he thinks like the homeless are just running around killing people. Well, I mean, that generally speaking, if we can just get off on, on that tangent just for a brief moment. That generally speaking is 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 people's attitude, um, and it and it's fomented by people like Mayor Beto and and um, others out there who equate homelessness with violence and with crime, right? And it's 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 sort of like if if, if you've got homelessness, you're going to have crime. If you got unhoused people, you're going to have crime. Homeless people cause crimes, and it's just not proven out, and it's not true, and it's an awful trope, and we need to get beyond it. But we don't seem to be able to because if you uh, we'll talk about it later but uh it seems to be the number one talking point in san jose especially if we're talking about fighting crimes it's in the same breath as we need more mental health services for the unhoused um or you know we need to you know uh, we need to be wary of what we're building and where we're building it and how we're building it and who we're building it for so uh we got a we got a pretty 
got a pretty weird story here. This is just raw footage. It looks like this isn't doesn't appear that there's a news hit that goes with this. This is uh, an Not ambulance really, was yeah. stolen in San Francisco, and uh, looks like it's you know in a bad way. Developing at oh, this nope. hour, someone stole an ambulance in San Francisco, leading police on a chase through San Mateo and Alameda counties. Happened earlier this evening at 47th and Irving in the outer sunset. Investigators say paramedics were literally loading a patient into the ambulance when it was stolen. <laughs> CHP was able to track it using a GS GPS system. They followed the ambulance to Oakland. The ambulance was eventually located with no tires. The patient, by the way, being loaded, did make it to the hospital anyway, and no one was hurt. Oh, good. <laughs> Time to put oh, the fucking thing up on blocks and take the fucking tires off it and shit. Like, what the fuck? My goodness. Yeah, I guess they I guess they tracked it using the GPS, but there was no... I, I guess I misunderstood this. I thought there had been some sort of high-speed chase with an ambulance. That would have been pretty ballsy, but um, I guess we would have seen footage of that. But anyway, yeah, the, uh, how awful. Like, yeah... Of all things, why jack an ambulance? And I mean, why jack an ambulance when they're about to load someone into it? Like, that's just awful. <laughs> Talk about loser. That's just the worst loser. Who would do that? Like, what if it was your grandmother who was getting loaded into that ambulance? Uh, you rapscallion, you. Maybe um, they really didn't like the person being loaded into the ambulance. <laughs> it could you know what it could have been some sort of weird mafia thing or some sort of gang thing um the gang you know someone got shot the gang lord and so they're they're gonna make sh damn sure he doesn't live right they're gonna steal the ambulance that comes to pick him up <laughs> that's some that's that, that's some like 80s cop show shit right there. totally oh it's miami vice right. uh, absolutely some pastel shirts to the max so our next story here is this. Everybody saw this story. Even if you're, especially if you're not from the Bay Area, you saw this story. It it was a uh, uh, looks like a gallery owner um, uh, decided that he was going to take a hose to uh, one of his homeless neighbors. Uh, here, here it is. Here's the local news hit on it. A viral video has sparked outrage in San Francisco. It shows a local business owner spraying spraying an unhoused woman with a garden hose. NBC Barry Sinhil Quintana talked with the man who posted the video and the man who used the garden hose. Edson Galvez says he was making a delivery when one of his employees... Just so casual. So he pulled out his phone right. and caught the stunning scene. So nonchalant. The guy and uh, this guy's like pouring water on plants. And then when we saw the lady doing like this, oh no, this is a lady. In the video that was first posted to TikTok, the man with the hose can be heard arguing with the woman, but you can't make out the specifics with one exception. Larry Maroney was working a construction job nearby and also saw what was happening. I see a guy hosing this girl down and I thought it was not right. So I went over there to say, hey, what's up? Because I was going to take the hose and spray him. The oh, you should have. Collier Gwynn. He owns an antique shop and gallery here. The gallery is closed today, but I was able to talk with the business owner through the speaker in the door. Collier Gwynn claims he and much of the neighborhood actually knows the woman in the video decently well. The whole neighborhood is a part of the situation. The police force is a part of the situation. The, the city and the social services is a part of the situation. There have been repeated attempts to try to help this woman who is psychotic. Gwyn said, well, now extra fuck this guy. 
Yeah, so I've decided to help her by spraying her with water out of a hose. That was with while well, I'm like leaning like James Dean against this, you know, fencing. Like seriously, bro? Fuck this dude. Yeah, like loser, just He's awful. To her situation and has called the police. Oh, really? Social services multiple times when he says she's become disruptive. There's absolutely nothing that can be done. They will take her to a shelter and they will turn her out in two days. They will take her to the hospital and they will release her within a day. He did. So you decided to fucking spray her down with a hose during the middle of yeah. a rainstorm? How is that the solution? How is that helpful at all? Like, how about this, bro? Okay, they they take her somewhere and they just release. Why don't you take her in? Why don't you try and help? Right? Um, give her some food. Give her some shelter. Maybe she need that. Maybe that's what she needs to get her head straight. Um, maybe that's all it would take. Instead of like perpetuating the problem, like what what's this going to solve? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> spray her with a hose. Edson Galvez, the man who posted the video, says he also knows the woman because he owns a business nearby. Okay, that lady doesn't go inside the business. She is sleeping on the street, but she's very calm. Yeah, I was putting a quarters um, on the parking meter right now, and she was passing by. Larry Maroney, the man who saw what was happening, says he did confront Gwyn for spraying the woman. I can understand both parties. I feel sorry for the tenant, and I feel sorry for the lady. But the police had came out one time, There's nothing. he said there's nothing we can do. While we were putting our story together, a police officer came to try and talk to Gwyn, but the officer told us he didn't answer. According to a San Francisco police spokesperson, this is an open investigation and would not talk about potential charges. In San Francisco, Sergio Quintana, NBC, Bay Area News. Yo, yo. Prosecute. Oh my God, like, fuck the cops. Jesus Christ. Yeah, seriously, someone should pick this case up and prosecute that motherfucker. That's awful. So our docket here is wrong. This is not Mayor Evil Beto who's going to chime in. This is uh, San Francisco oh, Mayor apologize. London Breed about to chime yeah, in yeah. about this this video. Um, The dude, I don't know, man. I don't know. It would be really, you know, that dude that went over to confront that guy, man. It would be really hard not to, like, you know, catch a charge yourself if you saw that. I, I don't know. It just seems like. Yeah, right. It just seems like the absolute fucking inhumanity of what that person just did is just yeah. like, I don't know. I don't know. You just tie him up with the hose and leave him fuck, leave him, leave him out there or some shit. I don't know what you do, man. Yeah. It, it deserves to get returned in kind in some way. That's just awful. But let's, let's hear what, uh, not mayor Beto, but uh, mayor London has to say the mayor of San Francisco, whose name is London. Um, when I when I saw it, you know, all I can think about is what happened during the civil rights movement. This is, you know, sadly um, at a time when African Americans uh, were fighting uh, for our rights to be considered equal in this country. Um, even at that time, law enforcement and, and others used water hoses to stop protesters, and it. It just kind of takes us back, unfortunately, to that time, um, and no other human being should be able to do that to any other human being, period. Um, as far as I'm concerned, it's assault, uh, and there should be um, consequences, and, and clearly we know that there are people on our streets who are struggling with mental illness, with substance use disorder. Um, we know that people are very frustrated, uh, but this is not the solution. This is not... Um, how you take out your frustrations and your anger, um, you know, on someone who clearly not only couldn't help themselves, but 
also someone who said they were not interested in, in pressing charges. It's clear that this person needs help, this person needs support, um, and this is what's wrong with our uh, laws in our state around being able to help someone struggling with mental illness into uh, treatment indoors, into a level of support, into a level of care like where we are today. Um, our system is broken and right now, um, you know, Senator Scott Weiner had been working for years to um, make some changes to our conservatorship laws and right now uh, Senator Susan Eggman, we're working hand in hand with her on some of those changes. My hope is that we are able to help someone like this um, even when they say they don't want help. But again, a solution is not assault. A solution is not a water hose. This is really um, disturbing um, and sad and frustrating uh, and it will be, um, from my understanding, dealt with. It's under investigation uh, by the police department, and so uh, we'll see what happens. So we I don't, I don't know enough about the law, but it seems like that would be like an assault with intent to do bodily harm because of the weather, and then getting wet, it would like make you you get really sick. Like there, there've got to be like enhancements that can happen, and I hope that guy gets the fucking book thrown at him. That would be nice, wouldn't it? I'm sure there's going to be no shortage. This has gotten enough attention, so I'm sure there'll be no shortage of pro bono attorneys who are willing to pick this up and help that uh, that woman get some justice, um, regardless of whether or not she wants to press charges. I think that's more of a that's like a citizen's arrest kind of a thing. I'll I'll press the goddamn charges. Well, that's the asshole. thing is, if it if he's charged with a criminal offense, it's the DA that presses charges anyway. So it this right. She doesn't. She doesn't even have to have anything to do with it. I mean. The evidence is right there. There's no, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? The evidence yeah. is right there. There's no, yep. she, she doesn't have to do nothing. You know, that's a open, that's an open and shut case. It's clear. It's very clear. Um, all right. Well, uh, that's winners and losers, but we always wrap up winners and losers by asking someone to get their shit together. Um, but now it's this, this, this round, I think it's people need to get their potholes filled. And that's not a euphemism. Along the peninsula, the rain continued to pound the Bay Area coast. High winds. Ew, that's a euphemism too. Flooding has meant power outages and roadblocks for many. Sinkholes are also another big issue, impacting cities from Pacifica to Pittsburgh. ABC7 News reporter Ansar Hassan traveled around much of the Bay Area to bring you this story. The afternoon rain pounded the Bay Area, but for surfers, the weather was almost perfect, says Rob Bellamy. So there's higher tides um, and lots of like really good waves, to be honest with you, lots of good barrels uh, because of the offshore winds, uh, bigger surf. Um, but, you know, for people who are experienced, it's not really any issue. But those offshore winds combined with heavy downpours continue to wreak havoc back on land. A short distance away in Pascadero, the road collapsed. It's this type of impact on infrastructure that worries Pacifica resident Jen Bonta. There have been big waves. We have had trees down. Uh, the high school that my daughter attends, Terra Nova, had a power line come down near campus and crushed a car. From Pacifica to Pescadero to Pittsburgh, there have been power outages, clogged storm drains, lightning and flooding. I'm sure you're aware of all the flooding, right? Um, if you needed to get out, we can escort you up the street. In Pittsburgh, police went door to door to warn residents of a sinkhole that opened above a storm drain line, dumping more than a foot of water onto residential streets and flooding this neighborhood. City officials warned if the nearby Kirker Creek floods, it could damage homes. At first, I was kind of like worried about it because I don't swim. 
Back along the peninsula, a lady was cool. Continues to impact mm -hmm. residents mm -hmm. since the start of the new year. It's just been crazy on and off showers, a lot of landslides. I live on hills and stuff. It just our road is closed. Michael Mesa works in construction. His big concern is Highway 92, which is still closed due to a sinkhole. He says alternative routes add up to an hour to his commute, but more than the inconvenience, he's worried about his family. Kind of stuck, yeah. I mean, I hope it gets um, fixed soon because, I mean, for emergency exit, like 92 is the only one. Yeah, so. The CHP doesn't know when 92 will reopen. In Pacifica, Ansar Hassan, ABC 7 News. Pacifica to Pittsburgh to Pescadero. Yeah, this, I mean, this, this area is, the infrastructure isn't really there for um, the rain, right? I mean, we, yeah. you know, there's storm drains and stuff, but the kind of rain we just got is like pretty uncommon here. Like not like it one is. big storm, but having them like back to back to back like they were. Yeah, and We're, because it's uncommon, you also you end up with a you know a lot a lot of leaves backing up that have backed up over time, right? And debris, debris, debris that's backed up over time and has now flooded into the drains, right? And backs them up. So, like my I know my mom's corner just about every time it, we have one of these del great deluges or atmospheric rivers, it it overflows and floods just because uh, the the drain has not experienced rain in a long time, so it's gotten backed up with a lot of crap. Um, so that, uh, and that, that just happens in, in mass, massive ways and small ways. Um, but, uh, if you're, but if you did, uh, happen to have a sinkhole on your street or a pothole on your street, there is a way, there is a way that you can file for, uh, for damages and get that thing fixed. And NBC Bay area is here to help you figure it out. With fancy One quick music. drop into a pothole can cause a lot of damage. An average of $600 worth, according to AAA. Let's look at who pays. Two ways. First, car insurance. The Insurance Information Institute says pothole damage is usually covered, provided you have collision coverage. Here's what you should do. Progressive Insurance tells its policyholders, immediately after the incident, take photos of the pothole, the surrounding area, and your vehicle as documentation. Note the location of the pothole, as well as the time of day and the weather conditions. Then file a claim. Now, if it's unsafe to snap a photo of a pothole, like on a freeway, let your insurance company know that upfront. Generally, car insurance covers pothole damage to things like your tires, rims, steering, alignment, and body. But here's the thing, your deductible will apply, and that's usually $500 to $1,000, but you might be able to get that back. More on that in just a minute. If you have minor damage, say $100 or $200 worth, your insurance might not kick in. Progressive says in many instances, it doesn't make sense to file a claim. One thing that might make sense is seeking reimbursement from the agency that maintains the road where you hit the pothole. For example, ah. all these drivers hit the same pothole on 101. Caltrans maintains 101, so they could mm -hmm. theoretically all file a claim with Caltrans to get paid in full or get reimbursed their deductible. Fair warning, last year the Mercury News reported Caltrans only paid one in 10 claims. Long odds, but it's free to file, so here's how. Download form LD0274 from the Caltrans website. It's a claim oh my form. God. It's only two pages long and has basic fields to fill out what happened, where, and when. Caltrans wants to know the exact location of the pothole and the time of the incident to determine its liability. The form also asks you how much the pothole damage cost you. This is important. Caltrans wants either two written estimates or one paid receipt. 
Don't leave this field blank. If you do, Caltrans says your form will be deemed incomplete and returned without further action. When you're done with the form, you sign it and mail it to your local Caltrans district. For the Bay Area, that's District 4. Don't wait. Your deadline to file a claim is six months after the incident. I mean, you could wait a little bit. Six months isn't exactly like a short period of time. If he was like, don't wait, it's six days. And I'm like, well, what a bunch of assholes they are. Six days. Yeah, no, six months is pretty standard, though, um, for government claims. So, um, and yeah, it's a good amount of time. So if you can't get it done by then, you know, probably shouldn't be filing it in the first place. I, I do feel like having to download and then print out the form and then fill it out and then fucking mail it to them. I feel like there's, it, it's like putting obstacles in the way. This should be something you can, you should at least be able to get started like online, like with an online mm-hmm. form. And then if yeah. they, if they need more information than was on the online form, or if you need to sign something, they should mail it to you. One would hope, right? One would hope you could do most of it online, especially a pothole claim or a, a, a claim for damages like that. So, um, yeah, well, well we like, we love to keep people informed. Um, especially if you don't watch NBC Bay Area, we, we, we do it for you. We watch so you don't have to. And, um, uh, you know, I don't know. Um, potholes on the freeway tend to get filled pretty quickly uh, just because so many people are going on the freeway. I think where people yes. really get their cars fucked up is like in neighborhoods. Yes. And when the roads have gone a very long time without being repaved, like you have in much of the South Bay and San Jose, especially um, it's getting, that is getting resolved. Um, thanks to your tax dollars at work. Um, but uh, it's been a long time coming and there's some roads that have just not been repaved for many, like including mine uh, for many, many years, uh, decades in some cases. Yeah, the street that um, I'm on desperately needs to be like repaved or worked on. There's a lot of like, like it seems like it's from the trees, like from the roots of trees are kind of pushing up the, uh, pushing up the sure. pavement. Oh. oh, sure, yeah, and and it wears down the cars, you know, for the folks living on that street over time. But because the volume isn't there, right, it's not in fact impacting a, you know, a, a, the traffic or the commute ride or t- thousands of drivers. Um, they'll let it fester, right, because it's it's a low priority, right. Um, but tell that to anyone, you know, on your street, your street's always a priority, right? Um, right. to you, um, hasn't but, fucked uh, up my bike too much yet, but you know, <laughs> they're actually little jumps if you're on a bike. So that's different. Whee! The, kid, the kids love it. The kids love it. I shouldn't be jumping my bicycle. I'm 46 years old. What the fuck? Oh, come on. You're the one who's showing the kids how to do it. Aren't you safely? Show, show the kids how to fucking crack your skull open. <laughs> safely crack your skull open show, show the show the show the kids what an ambulance looks like in person <laughs> just make sure that it doesn't get stolen before they get picked up the kids would be like i don't like that guy anyway steal the ambulance <laughs> kids like ah all right well uh shall we head down ballot yeah let's let's move down ballot we cover like local stuff that is more directly political we cover local local elections goings on on in local city councils like uh Right here, apparently, city San Jose City Hall gears up to appoint new council members. To the chagrin of no one, no one's going to be pissed off. This is going to be a great story where everybody holds hands. I I presume. Oh, completely. Yes. Okay, let's go ahead and take a break from the weather now and talk politics. Next week, is going to be made shaping San Jose's. People are like, actually, can we go back to talking about the storm? (laughs) That was great. Yeah, can we talk about the weather, please? 
for the next two years. The city council took a controversial step to appoint its two newest members instead of hold a special election. So now the council has narrowed the candidates to a short list. NBC Bay Area's Ian Cole has been working on this story for us. Uh, so Ian, let's go ahead um, and, and pretty much start with what got them to this point. Why did they decide to, to appoint? Yeah, well, Audrey, well, we got here because the two previous members got elected to different offices. County uh, Sylvia Arenas is now a county supervisor, and then Council Member Matt Mahan was elected mayor. So uh, that leaves a void in District 8 and 10. And after a lengthy debate in December, the City Council voted 7 to 4 to appoint the two council members instead of hold a special election. Opponents argued a special election would cost the city more than $10 million to hold. It's the first time in almost 30 years San Jose will appoint instead of elect. Council member Pat, uh, Pam Foley voted against it along with the new mayor. I think the short list are, are good lists, uh, but I still think we should have had a special election because what's really difficult is for council members to determine who is the best qualified to represent those two districts. Okay, so some happy with the decision, some not happy. Uh, Ian, I guess we're in the situation now, so I'm wondering uh, who's on that short list. Well, Audrey, I'll tell you, about 40 people applied for the two spots, and in the past few weeks, the council has narrowed it down to 11. We'll get to the first list, uh, the new short list for District 8. Uh, that includes East San Jose and the Evergreen area. They'll be interviewed and selected in one week. It includes a school board president, former airport commissioner, and San Jose police sergeant. And there are six people vying for the District 10 seat, which includes Almond Valley and Blossom Hill. Almost all have served on a city or school committee. It includes a retired county judge, community impact leader, and gym owner. They will be appointed. The gym owner? Six. Yeah, Jay David uh, Hentendel. Over the years, that sometimes works. you actually get people uh, who step up to serve when you do an appointment that may not have otherwise stepped up to serve. And Audrey, those candidates will need a supermajority, six of nine council members to vote them in. They'll serve two years through the 2024 general election. We'll have more in the story coming up at 5.30. Okay, Ian, thank you so much for that preview. Appreciate it. So they need a like 30, like two thirds vote. Correct, of, who's, of the council that's left, right? The nine council members that are currently there. Um, so yeah, that's six, which makes it nice and even. Uh, if it were like, for example, if there were one vacancy and there were 10 votes, then they would need uh, seven, seven, right? Um, and if, uh, or actually it might be need eight to be honest with you, um, just for, uh, no, for good measure, seven. <laughs> anyway, the math changes, uh, but yeah, they need six votes and it's yet to be seen how they're going to actually do this in terms of the vote. It could be, you know, up or down, like, you know, uh, just vote for whoever your first choice is, right. And we'll see what happens. Um, they could also try rank choice voting for this because it's not governed by, you know, city election laws. It's pretty much the council can decide the day that they do this, you know, how, how they want to do it. Um, so they could try rank choice voting. They could try a, a variety of, of measures uh, to, to elect. It's going to be hard to find consensus um, because this council is kind of fractured right now between the mayor and his ally on the council and then the rest of them. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, someone's going to get appointed to both seats. So District 8 happens next Tuesday. Um, it'll be happening more than likely, but going down as down ballot is being broadcast and then recorded. Um, and then next Thursday, 
um, we will have the battle for District 10. So uh, I, I imagine the week after that we'll be uh, using uh, this space to bring you some of the highlights from those uh, council interviews because it's going to be live in person at council. All those folks get interviewed and cross-examined by the council and then council del deliberation and public comment. It's just going to be a blast. So I advise you all to get your popcorn and uh, be ready for a really fun show. Do you have any favorites weeks. on that list? Do anybody you like? Uh, there's people I like. I mean, I don't, you know, the district eight list, I don't, you know, I don't know particularly any of them all that well. Um, and I don't know who would necessarily make the best representative out of those folks. Um, but, uh, we, we shall see. I don't really have a horse in the race as it were. Um, and then in district 10, I, I do have a horse in the race. Um, but it's for, not for myself more, it's more for the good wife. Um, pulling for her, for her candidate, um, cause it's always good when people that she supports and she's, uh, you know, assisting and, and advising do well. It really bodes well for our political clout. Uh, so I definitely pulling for her, for her candidate there, but I can't speak to who that is. But if you know the good wife and you know her general values and you look at the candidates for district 10, just think about who stands out, what, which one of these is not like the other. And I think you might understand where she's coming from and who she's supporting. For sure. Um, for sure. For sure. I'm, but I'm, anyway, I'm a, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know who any of those people are. I just thought it was funny that one of them was described as a gym owner <laughs> and then that yes. person could be perfectly, a perfectly great choice for council. I just thought it was funny that they were described that way. You know, he, he's, he owns a gym called hot works. And apparently like, this is just like, from what I understand, it's a gym where you go and just sweat the fat off basically. Like they just turn the heat up and you just sit there and sweat. Which oh, like, like really the Scientology, uh, like the Scientology uh, purification rundown, something along those lines. Yes, um, he is. You know, he seems palatable to some of the council members, from what I understand. Um, his, you know, but that's mainly based on paper and application. And his, he's probably got a good personality. If he's a small business owner and a gym owner, he's probably got a good personality. He's probably got like a lot of really strong, passionate kind of mentality. So that goes a long way. Personality goes a long way in this business, um, yeah, especially for, for an appointment. Correct, because this is the, this is really you know, the, the the best possible electorate situation you can think of, right? You're really just angling for six votes out of nine people. You you have nine people to talk to, right? If you run for city council, and these people will have to run very quickly and turn around very quickly and run again because the primary for their race comes up in March of next year, so they're gonna have to turn around and run really quickly. Um, you know, you're facing a situation where you've got to, you know, talk to tens of thousands of voters, right? And you've got over 50,000, probably 50,000 registered voters in each district. Um, so you're talking to tens of thousands and trying to get thousands and thousands of voters to vote for you. Whereas here, you just have to convince six people um, that you're, you know, the most qualified, the best candidate. It's, it seems very doable. Or, or that you're going to vote with them. Or that you're going to be their their little ally and you're going to help them get what they want done, right? And you're going to be their political ally and you're going to give them political clout, right? Absolutely. That's why some of them do it. Some of them do it for altruistic reasons. Some of them do it because of that. Um, and in a way, it's it's almost more challenging because you're you're really having to gear yourself towards these specific personalities, right? And answer their specific questions and their, their pet peeves and their issues. Whereas, you know, you can sort of 
uh, get away from the individual issues and really focus on more issues you're hearing in more of a, a larger context when it comes to a bigger campaign and broader campaign, right? You can compartmentalize issues and deal with them in, in macro, whereas here you have to deal with them in micro. You really do have to address Pam Boley's specific issues, Sergio Jimenez's specific issues, Matt Mahan's specific issues, right? If you want to have a chance to get those six votes, you really have to speak to what they want and what they're looking for and to their concerns. And so it could be, it's a little more challenging in a way to get those six votes than it is to get 6,000. But that's the th nature of the beast that they've created. So <clears throat> next week we may be running some of the city council footage from the, uh, from tonight, essentially. It would be fun. Yeah. It's going to, there, uh, 3 PM, I think is the time certain for the, the district eight discussion on the 24th. And then there's a whole separate meeting to do district 10. So, but we'll find out a lot on uh, a week from today as far as how the process is going to work and it could be happening live as we're on the air we could do a little live uh live streaming action who knows yeah yeah like like the like longer form content like what i do late at night when i'm drunk exactly i'm happy to join that um so let, uh, stay tuned we'll see what happens as long as and if if all we have is like hey it's sunny again news next week then i think that'd be, <laughs> it, might, it might be it might be the only thing we have to run so as far as politics Oh, this is the Bay Area. There's a lot of people here and a bunch of dumb shit's going to happen next week. I'm not too worried about it. Yeah, there'll be someone with like a, a pipe bomb fixation um, and or, a, you know, something along those lines or someone getting getting shot on the freeway. So it looks like up next we have some good news out of Oakland. Uh, there, we've covered yeah. this. Uh, I'm, I'm bad with time. Time's all distorted. But maybe six months ago we covered there was a like an uproar in Oakland about uh, them closing some schools. And it looks and like the uh, Oakland Unified School District is actually reverse course on some of that. So let's check out what uh, KPIX 5 has to say about it. Big sigh of relief for some families and teachers in Oakland after a year of sit-ins and protests. They won a major victory this week when the new school board reversed the decision to close several schools. District officials said it was necessary to shut down these five schools next year to balance the budget as it faced declining enrollment. Well, now all of them will stay open. And Dahlin reports there are differing opinions on whether the district can handle the financial consequences. I literally was crying like the whole night. Happy tears when mom Christina Vesey and her son Jordan found out their school, Carl B. Monk Elementary, is saved. Carl B. Monk feels like community. It feels like home. It feels like comfort. And so the fact that this is going to remain open and my child will have that next year is, I'm elated. Christina attended many school board meetings to fight the closure. The previous school board voted last year to close or merge 11 schools over two years due to budget issues. These kids were out of school for a year and a half due to a pandemic and then they come back and now it's like my school might not be here and that's even more traumatic. The new board with a progressive majority voted this week to rescind the closures. The new board president Mike Hutchinson says they have the money to keep the schools open. The last thing I will ever do is bankrupt the school district that I love and our financial health is sound. And so this is why we are able to move forward in these sorts of ways. 
He blames years of financial mismanagement for previous budget shortfalls. The district is still under receivership because the state took it over after Oakland Unified ran out of money 20 years ago. While the district is projected to be financially stable for the next two school years, experts say that's due to one-time pandemic funds. The district's chief business officer says Oakland Unified has to be disciplined with its spending to stay healthy. We have a number of schools that are smaller than 200 students. I call them micro schools. They're not even small schools, they're micro schools. Board Director Sam Davis voted to keep the school closures. He says short-term pain leads to long-term gain. Oakland Unified has 77 schools serving about 34,000 students. In comparison, Fremont Unified has 41 schools and close to 33,000 students. San Jose Unified also has 41 schools serving 30,000 students. And Stockton has 54 schools serving about 36,000 students. It's apples and oranges. We do not have a problem with being able to fund our school district. When you have, have 77 schools, you divide the pie up into 77 slices, each school is getting a much smaller slice. As for Christina and Jordan, they believe keeping their school open can help their community. We can be creative, they can be creative in their approach with money. Since Oakland Unified is still under state's receivership, the state trustee can cancel the board's vote. The board is set to meet with the trustee next week. So the school board voted this week without having the financial analysis. District staff is scheduled to present, present a financial impact report at the next school board meeting, and that's in about two weeks. So that's good news. Um, but it seems like <clears throat> seems like we run into this problem where you have one school board and they have like one point of view and then the, the next school board has like a different point of view and they just come in and reverse whatever the, the previous school board did. And it seems like it longer term, it's if that keeps happening, it's going to be harder and harder for these school boards and like local local government agencies to actually get anything done because they're going to be busy like re like undoing what the last you know group of people that were in there did. It's one reason why education, public education is stuck in a way, yes, because um, you've got a lot, you end up with them, the, the folks who run for school board and who serve on school board predominantly are either are one of two kind of uh, folks, right? One is a concerned parent or concerned community member who just is very concerned about things for a very limited amount of time, i.e. the time that their kid is in school, right? Um, and they're very concerned and they want to join the school board because they're concerned and they want to address their concerns. And once their concerns are addressed, they move on to off in the sunset and their kid goes on to college and they, they cease to be concerned. Uh, the, the other folks are the folks who use the school boards as a uh, stepping stone, as it were, or a, as they call it, um, or as a launching pad for a political career. And therefore they come in and they want to make some waves. They want to do some things. They want to get some things done. They want to uh, institutes new policies and make some changes, right? So that they can say, I made change and I did this and that and the other thing when they run for city council or county supervisor or something higher up the food chain, right? As some folks might say, higher up the food chain. To me, school board is incredibly vital and important and critical and shouldn't just be left to big folks who are just climbing the ladder because you're dealing with hundreds of millions of dollars of budget. You're dealing with the future of our, of our nation, the future of our children, the future of our society. Um, it's the most important thing that we do and we're leaving it to like the lowest common denominator of leadership. So yeah, you're right. It's, it, it, it's just, it clogs up the system. Um, and what can be done, you know, yet to be seen, I think for one thing is just everyone's paying more attention and understanding what the, what factors are at play. You know, I, 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 it's awful 
that um, we're even considering closing schools. But at the end of the day, you know, every district is suffering, just about is suffering from declining enrollment in public schools, right? Either as um, uh, families move out of urban areas, especially, and into the rural areas, and as the families who can afford it move their kids out of public school into private school, right? And as charters proliferate and take step up public funds for pretty much charter school, quasi charter school, quasi private schools, right? Um, that are getting public funds. As more of that happens, there's less money to keep the schools open, right? To pay teachers, to pay staff, to pay uh, janitors, to pay food service employees, right? Um, and it's not just the employees because you know, they, they're mandated to have a certain number of teachers and certain number of employees per student, and they can move the people around, right? If they closed one school, those employees can move to another school and just be in a consolidated campus, but uh, they need to do that so they can save the overhead, right? They can't keep 77 schools open because you're paying for electrical and plumbing and all of that maintenance, right? And upkeep and HVAC and all that stuff for 77 campuses, right? It, it's just, it just becomes untenable. So uh, eventually some pain has to be felt and it's going to be felt. And it's, you know, to me, I feel awful for families that have to move their kids to a different school or get bust or just, you know, or just lose that kind of security blanket they have in their neighborhood. Um, and what I know what it means for a school to close in a neighborhood. I've seen it happen, but it, I, you know, you, you gotta be realistic and understand what, where things are at and uh, school boards have to follow through and make these cuts and make these moves where they can because it's just going to get worse when they when they finally do recognize the need to cha to make the change, right? It's going to be even more painful. You're going to see more and more schools closing, not just a couple, right? It's going to be tons of schools. I feel like so, a better I, I feel like a better way to do this would be to be <clears throat> be like look at projections and kind of let people know that hey, in you know two or three years, these are the schools that might have to shut down. These are the options where your kids might go, and we're going to have to prepare for this possibility. But again, that's like thinking longer term and that's you know if you're if you're cycling out these boards and they're changing leadership every two years the next board's going to come in and goes well those assholes on the last board just told you mm -hmm. that you're going to have to take your kids to a new school and i'm never going to tell yeah. you that and so now like now and then like a two a year and a half later or whatever then there's a money crunch and now this thing that they thought was going to happen in the first place happens but like you know they'll and they can just blame it on the last school board it's just it's it's fucked up because like in in the end it's like in the end, it's never the it's never like the rich kids, the, like the rich parents' kids that this happens to, and so no, of course not. It's it's public it's public school parents, like parents who the ones who can't afford, like I said, can't afford to send their kids to private school. That's what's left is the most you know lowest income, the the folks who are struggling the most, who are in most need, are the ones that are left, right? And they're of course stuck with less money because enrollment equals money in California's system, right? Um, so yeah, it's it's. A, <laughs> It's a really shoddy state of affairs. And they do warn people. That's the thing. They have community meetings to talk about this and, and to say like, hey, we're going to have to close some schools and this is what we're looking at and this is the, what the plan looks like a couple of years down the road and this is what the projections look like. This is the reality. But, you know, if you're a parent, most parents just don't, they don't see that forest for the trees. They don't care. It's like you're closing my school. You're closing my kid's school and my life and their life is going to get disrupted and you, you know, screw you <laughs> right that's that's pretty much the attitude and no matter if you prepare them or not um but usually what happens is that come that news comes out and that's when the outcry starts and the parents start to push back and then school boards get uh wishy-washy and cold feet or they get voted out because they suggested they were going to close the school right and then the new board comes in 
by the way, this new board president was the guy that got elected through that uh, rank choice voting snafu. Right. Hutchinson, right? Um, so elections do matter. Um, but anyway, yeah, it, 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 it's not going to solve anything to have you know this constant churning of folks in and out of this office that really is much more important than just being a stepping stone. So we're we're starting to we're starting to hit uh, time here. So I want to get the last two stories. But we are. before we do, I want to I want to bring up that the the subject of this next story is a is a friend or is an enemy of uh, an enemy of ours, and uh, it's this guy. Echoplex Media, boo. Hamburglar Dan Badandi does not like Eric Swalwell. He was always calling him Eric Swallowswell when he was doing videos about him. Um, and somebody in chat uh, noticed that you had uh, called him Eric Swallowswell on our on our docket this week and said that their 12-year-old self was very uh, very amused by that. So inside inside joke is what they call that one. Inside joke. So uh, but he, you know, our Congre- the congressman from uh, the congressman from the East Bay came and uh, surveyed some of the storm damage and uh, called for some federal assistance. Here's the local news head on it. Nice. That's for Dan Badondi. In Castro Valley, Greg. Yeah, Mike, this break between storms giving lawmakers like Congressman Eric Swalwell a chance to see the scope of the damage of these storms. And here along A Street in Castro Valley, it is striking. The congressman calling for more federal dollars in this recovery. Congressman Eric Swalwell took a closer look at some of the damage recent storms caused in his district. A portion of A Street, a major thoroughfare that connects Hayward and Castro Valley, washed away by the rain and surging San Lorenzo Creek. It's eye-popping to just see it uh, in that uh, standing uh, because uh, so many of us, you know, have just relied on the local infrastructure here. Uh, But I I think it it just commands us to do everything we can to get it back up and going. Swalwell joining with Alameda County Public Works officials and the sheriff's office to request more federal assistance, specifically a major disaster declaration to help reimburse counties for the recovery work ahead. The known damage so far estimate is $52 million, 83% of it, of the current estimate, is directly related to critical public infrastructure, such as roads, canals, school damage. First storm that we've seen like this in many years, and it's taken a toll on our critical infrastructure. Just like the example behind me, there's over 20 examples of critical failures on infrastructure. Different than President Biden's emergency declaration, a major disaster declaration would provide California and counties with assistance programs for individuals and public infrastructure. By having everybody coordinated together, local, state and federal, it's not just about helping people recover, but it's finding creative solutions. And sometimes that takes the synergy of everybody together. In order to qualify, damage assessments must meet a certain threshold, something Governor Newsom said the state is determining. When conditions uh, are right and we've assessed the damage, incredibly important to assess that damage, uh, we'll make a determination on a major disaster declaration. After seeing A Street, Swalwell is certain his area will qualify for more federal funding for their recovery. He also points out, with more rain in the forecast, the damage estimates could grow. This is a storm unlike anything we've seen uh, in our lifetime, and it's up and down uh, the state, and we know that another storm uh, is on its way. Uh, And so the damage that we are looking at today uh, could be worse. As for the work here on A Street, public works crews say they are working on stabilizing the creek bank with that new storm rolling in as they look to design a permanent fix. And all that, of course, is going to cost a lot of money and take some time. 
Reporting live in Castro Valley, Greg Lee, KTVU, Fox 2 News. All right, Greg, thank you. Not much there, but like it's, it's, you know, I just would question like when was the last time Eric Swalwell came back to the district? It seems like, I don't know, maybe he's here a lot. Do you know, you know, if he visits his district often? Uh, generally speaking, Congress members do come home every weekend, as it were. They try to, at least. Um, there's a lot of frequent flyer miles that they rack up. Um, but they're usually in Washington uh, doing the business of the people most of the week. And then they fly home like Friday night and then they go back Sunday night. Um, but depending on who it is, he, he tends to, he seems to get home quite a bit. Um, he also has a lot of committee work in Washington that keeps him there as well, but, um, he seems to get home enough, um, as much as anyone else. And he's, he's no longer in a, he's not really in a swing district, so he doesn't necessarily have to show up as much, but, um, he, he does do his fair share. Um, and I think he's angling for something in the future. Obviously he ran for president briefly. Um, so he's looking at the, his future prospects too, and thinking about things. So, We'll see. And uh, maybe there's something local he can come back to if he doesn't want to stay in Congress for really however long he wants. I think he's got a pretty much, you know, uh, open ticket to stay in Congress for however long he wants to be there. Great. So for our last story, we always do an animal interest story. Usually it's a cute animal interest story, but this week it's, um, well, all of a sudden, rats. You knew it then. A warning from pest control experts. The storms and flooding can lead to rodents and other animals looking for shelter. KTVU's Jenna Katsuyama live tonight with us with more on all those phone calls coming in about rats and mice. Jenna. Well, Mike, I talked with uh, vector control offices in Alameda and Contra Costa County, and they both said that when the weather gets wet and cold outside, then they get a lot of calls. And we learned today that there are many ways that rats and other rodents can get into your kitchens and bathrooms. Gilbert Jaimez calls himself Rat Man, and he is on <laughs> what a, a mission rat man. looking for clues <laughs> at this Lafayette house. You can see this little dark smudge mark. Uh-huh. That's a rodent jumping up on here, squeezing I'm not here, sure about that. Sub area right here. This might be rat market. pseudoscience. So their bodies are kind of greasy, and those are rub marks. Jaimez owns a professional pest control company and says their bodies are kind of greasy. He's been flooded with calls this week for oh, rodent hey. control. Rats up, are always active. However, this last storm, I've been getting calls like three or four a day. They're just getting so cold and flooded with all this water. They're just trying to find shelter, and basically, the shelter they're finding is in people's homes. Many of the calls are for sightings in kitchens. People are hearing them. They're seeing them. Uh, I have people with rats on their kitchen counter eating their bananas, avocado. Alameda <laughs> County, <laughs> they have been getting calls too. We have gotten calls, you know, people that seen rats, you know, getting flushed out of the storm drains. Generally, we have Norway rats living in our sewers here in Oakland and Alameda and a lot of the cities in Alameda County. Turtles too. And San Francisco. Daniel Wilson is the community relations coordinator and says when storm sewers flood, rats can get desperate. Some of the worst things we have is rats coming up the toilets into people's homes. That's right, your toilet. Wilson says, Whoa, better a rat than a snake. Call. So it's That's always true. a good idea to keep the lid down because it's slippery there and they usually 
can't get out. Wilson, <laughs> Drown the rat. <laughs> Usually. Calls during rainy years. Rami David and his wife Jenna own Eco Pest Control in Oakland and say they've seen a jump in calls about rodents entering homes. They're chewing woods. We saw like also metals. We saw also they're chewing all four garage doors. Plastic digging is so easily for them to dig, especially under the foundation. And David said it is very important for homeowners to clear the area around the building so that you can see those holes. Now, we did talk to Contra Costa Vector Control. They say they've had several dozen calls so far. It's about average for this time of year, but they say that with the rains, um, they do expect to get these calls. Both they and Alameda Vector Control offer free site evaluations. So if you have any questions, you can call them, have them come out. They'll do an assessment of your property and identify any potential trouble spots. Mike? I mean, the toilet angle. I didn't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that. Santa Clara County. Even these local, these local news people love it when they get to, like, just have a little quip, right? They, like, they all oh, desperately sure. just want to be a Twitch streamer and then just run their fucking mouth like an idiot like I do every night. So if they get and a little it, chance to make even just the tiniest quip at the end of a story, they're, like, so happy. Oh but, yeah, no, it's it's you just you, it's like clockwork at the end of the story. The anchor is going to come back with some sort of you know uh, one-liner. So, but they were saying <sighs> that there's no more calls than usual about rats. So this wasn't even a story, but I was like, oh, a story about rats. I'm like, we're going with a story about rats. I was like, we're yeah, for sure, this. right? I, rides and toilets. You, you can't you can't deny. Well, councilman, thanks for joining me again this week. Do you want to read the show out? Always. Yeah, why not? Uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us, gentlemen, ladies. I, I'm assuming you're gentlemen and ladies. You could be a bunch of assholes for all we know. But anyway, uh, th thank you for tuning in and for watching us here on, on Twitch and for t uh, downloading the podcast. Please share with your friends. Uh, go to echoplexmedia.com for all your Echoplex Media needs and make sure you get vaccinated, that you wear a mask in public, and that you try to wear pants, but it's totally optional. I hope you all have a great evening and we'll see you next week at 730 Pacific. Peace. And this is Audible Smoke. Here at the local scene is where I plant my feet It's where I smoke my cigarette and I hold my drink I look at all my friends, they're all blazing green Sit at the front of the stage waiting for MTV Where are those guys who's standing next to me With a pipe in his hand ready to blaze for me About five minutes later we're all singing We now get the fuck up on stage and rock the scene yeah. We do what we want And what we want is to jam So sit back and we do what we want, what we want to do, and what we want is to jam. So sit back and enjoy the band, enjoy that band. I turn and head back to the bar for a refill, man, because you know where we are. 
We're headed out to the car To smoke another one And another one Now just when the magic starts kicking in Now here we left playing And you know it's time to head in Alright everybody now it's time to grab a new drink Spark it if you got it And then pass it to me We do what we want And what we want is to jam So sit back and enjoy the band Another joint now, who's got my lighter? Stoner E, of course, shouldn't you be inside? I'm all up in this bitch, being who I gotta be. I'm fucked up like the US economy. The truth is, is that I don't think logically. Stoner E, take you on a psychedelic odyssey. Now, inside, motherfuckers is rocking me. And outside, shit, we smoke a lot of broccoli. Rocking the roller, you're the sexy girl, be jocking me. Ain't too drunk to fuck, but I'll probably do it sloppily. We do what we want. And what we want is to jam So sit back and enjoy the band Dance with the band and enjoy the band We do what we want And what we want is to jam So sit back and enjoy the band Hey everybody, we got a brand new swag shop. It's powered by Fourth Wall and it's really great. It's at eplex.store. That's E-P-L-E-X dot store. Hopefully you find something there you like. I'm partial to the one with Jordan Peterson and Jesus.